You are listening to the Torah Sparks Podcast, the podcast that finds and ignites sparks of spiritual light and meaning in anything and everything, bringing out lessons and values straight from the Holy Torah. I am your host, Ori Strum. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to another episode of the Torah Sparks Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you're not listening right now, well, that wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't be hearing this. It's Parshas Noach this week. I love Parshas Noach. I love every Parsha, but Noach has, it's just an incredible story. It's tremendously dramatic. Every time I read Noach, I feel like there's this dramatic music playing in the background of like, you know, on the water with like boats and like the pirates. And there's something so um, warming, scary, soothing, nerve-wracking. There's so many mixed emotions emotions in this whole story. I mean, the world, for heaven's sake, gets pretty much all wiped out except for one family. And, you know, it's brought down Og. The big giant was also saved. Um, And the fish were saved as well. And whatever was in the ark, in the teva. And the captain of the ship, obviously, every boat has a captain. You know, in this case, who was the captain of the teva? Who was the captain of the ark? Well, arguably, it was God, right? It was Hashem. Um, but on a certain level, from a humanistic perspective, it was Noah. He was the, you know, he didn't have to steer. I don't think he had to steer. It just went wherever the wind and wherever the water, wherever the seas took him. That's how he ultimately ended up on the mountains of Ararat. But either way, whoever the captain was, I tip my hat to the to Captain Noah for residing on the Teva for an entire year, 365 days. Uh, there is a not-so-famous quote that I actually just made up. You can't live on a boat forever. And and so it was. Noah right, and his family, they ultimately came out when Hashem said it was time. Eventually, they came out of the boat and went to dry land. Pause. Stop. Where, where are we? What happened? What's the date? Says the Torah. Chapter 8, verse 14. On the 27th of Cheshvan, the earth was dried, and Noah, his family, and all the animals departed from the boat. What does it say in chapter 4, in verse 4? And the ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. So we see several months prior to their departure, the Teva rested upon the mountains of Ararat. So, right, because they, it was on the seventh month, and as opposed to in Chesh, when they actually came out, fine. There's, there's, no, there's a tremendous impracticality that now exists for Noah and the rest of his family. I mean... After again, and Hashem is the one running running the show, and we can ask the following question, right? They're, they're finally able to leave the teva after a full year, and now you know what they have to do? They have to go down a mountain. You know, the, you know the impracticality of that. I mean, after all that time, they 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 haven't been on dry land for all this time, and now they have to walk down a mountain. Why couldn't they just? land on a flat land or in a in a valley or why of all places on top of a mountain so 
I'm just trying to think like of a marshal for this. So imagine the following. You take a long flight from Newark and 14 hours later you land in China. As you're getting ready to land, the pilot says in Spanish, I, I, I guess the pilot for some reason was from Mexico, not sure why. But if you're going to China, I thought he would be Chinese. Okay. We are sorry, but there is no space on the ground for us to land. But don't worry. We will safely land upon the Great Wall of China and you will simply walk down from there. Right, and I, I don't think anybody on that flight will be so thrilled. I mean, you just experienced a long flight. It was 14 hours, and now you have to go through the hassle of walking down with all your stuff, the Great Wall of China. That It would be it was just annoying, impractical. So now put yourself in the sandals of Noah. For an entire year, he and the rest of the local inhabitants, right, meaning his family, they've been traveling by boat. They were probably exhausted, mentally, physically. I can only speak for myself, and to be honest, all I would want to... to 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 I just would wouldn't walk off the boat onto flat dry land. Couldn't Hashem make their landing easier? Why did they need to land the boat of all places on a mountain? But my friends, I want to suggest the following. Perhaps Hashem did this. Well, obviously Hashem did it deliber- deliberately. But perhaps for the following reason. The table landing on the mountains of Ararat was by design perhaps to send a powerful message not only to Noah but to us, the readers of the Torah as well. For an entire year, Noah and the other inhabitants resided in the Teva, which was essentially a safe haven from the terrible mobble that destroyed the world. But out of all the families that existed on planet Earth, it was Noah's family that Hashem decided to save in order to start the world population anew. Everyone else was killed as they drowned in the sulfurous waters. The same is true with the animals that were saved in the Teva. They were the chosen ones to carry out and carry on their specific species. And it's it would only be natural for Noah and the rest of the saved inhabitants to feel somewhat prideful over the fact that they were saved. It would only be natural for them to have feelings of kavod and gaiva, feelings of self-pride and value for accomplishing what no one else was able to. Hashem in His great wisdom made the Teva land specifically on a mountain. That way, in order to go out and populate the world, Noah and the rest of the inhabitants would first have to go down a mountain. Going down a mountain is symbolic of humility, right? If you think about it, the opposite, uh, being on top, being on top of the world, being on top of the mountain represents a certain level of gaiva, haughtiness. So walking down a mountain, going down, represents the opposite, represents humility. And this was, if you think about it, essentially the world was destroyed because of a sense, because of a level of gaiva that they had. Some they they took. There was gazela, less than the shavapruta. They took that which was not theirs. There was arias, hashchasa, abominations. They took women who were not their own, taking something which is not yours, thinking that I am more right for this thing rather than than so-and-so, that is gaiva. And that's the reason the world was destroyed. People were involved in things they shouldn't have been in. They were putting their hands in places they shouldn't have placed their hands in, things that didn't belong to them. That comes from a level of gaiva, humility, not humility, it comes from a level of haughtiness. So to counteract that and to build the world anew, it had to be the exact opposite. It had to start by going down a mountain. It had to start from this notion, from this concept, from this idea of humility. And that's how the world 
began anew through humility, through another, an amazing insight, an amazing concept, something to think about. And on the contrast, if you look at the end of the Parsha, we see that the people of the Dara Flaga, they 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 failed once again in this regard. Um, in this regard of humility versus gaiva. They had a tremendous amount of gaiva. You know, there's a very interesting uh, point to bring out. The Torah tells us, They found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. So, again, this is talking about the people of Daraflaga. They intended to build some type of monstrous building up to heaven and wage war on God. Some some commentaries bring down they thought God was sitting up there in a kise, a kavod, on the moon. Um, it is brought down elsewhere that they built some type of the first ever um, rocket ship, whatever that means, trying to go through the atmosphere. But whatever the case is, this Pasuk is so incredibly perplexing. Not because it's the Pasuk, it's because of how it's explaining what the people did. If, if they, they found a valley in the land of Shinar. Again, think about this. You want to build up to go wage war to God, right? In heaven. Where's the first place you're going to start if you're using your head? You're going to start on a mountain, right? Because you already have all those hundreds, those tens of thousands of feet of elevation to begin with. Why in the world would they start in a bika, in a valley? If their goal is to reach God in heaven and wage war against him, why would they start building their tower from a valley? Wouldn't it have made a lot more sense to start building from atop a mountain? They would already be a head start in reaching the sky. But... There's another strange thing that these people did. The next pasuk says, ish el hava Each man said to his fellow, Come, let us make bricks. They wanted to make their own bricks. And Rashi says, There are not stones, sorry, There are not stones in Babylonia. This is where they were building it. It was in a valley in Bavel. There are no stones in Bavel because it's a valley. If you look in the article footnote 6, it says stones are commonly found in mountainous terrain, not in a valley. So again, they made their own stones when they could have used stones from a, a mountain. It would have been double. First of all, they would have had that elevation. Second of all, on a mountain, they would have already had existing bricks. By not starting to build from on top of the mountain, they not only had to build a taller structure, they also needed to make their own bricks. Were these a bunch of fools? Maybe. But I'd like to suggest that these fools had an agenda, a motive, a plan for what they did. Perhaps the people of the Dara Flaga were trying to send a message to God. Namely, we don't want you. These people suffered from a severe condition of gaiva, haughtiness. Haughty people like to do everything themselves. They think that they can conquer the world, perhaps even God, without any assistance. They specifically built their tower in the valley and not on a mountain. You know why? Because had they used the mountain, a God-made structure, they would have felt smaller since God assisted, quote-unquote, in their construction. As such, they deliberately chose to build their tower from the valley. These people wanted no connection with Hashem, absolutely none whatsoever. They wanted to be the ones to build the tower all by themselves. It sounds like a three, like a two-year-old kid 
when the parents are trying to feed them, they are just all by, by myself, by myself, myself. Everything is about myself, myself, myself. And for a kid that age, that's healthy and good, and they should do that. But for adults to act that way, that's immature. That's a sense of gaiva. That's hard. That's egotistical. There's no anava in that. And real successful people will tell you that one of the ultimate ways of achieving success is by being open to other people's opinions, by allowing influence in your life from others, by not just doing everything yourself, but having a team, working around that, working with that, cultivating. That's how a person experiences true success. It, it, you, you need others. You need assistance, especially from Hashem. And this goes back to the point we've been talking about, this contrast between Gaiva and Anava. Real successful people utilize other people of the world. Ezehu Chacham, who's considered wise? He who learns from all men. He learns from everybody. You can learn something from anybody, from a little kid, from someone elder, from a Jew, from a non-Jew, and even yourself for that matter, from the way things that you've done in the past that worked, that didn't work. You're included in Kolada. But it's important. We need others. We need assistance from others. We need help from others. We can't, we're not just in a world by ourselves. We're in a world with other people. And we have to utilize that. We have to utilize the people around us. Ask people for questions. You know, question people. Ask people, how, how did they do? How did they get to where they are? Uh, learn from people, whether you ask them or not. Uh, study their ways. Study what, they, what, what they've done. Trajectories that they that they've taken. Don't necessarily reinvent the wheel and think, oh, I'm going to build it all myself from a valley. That's ridiculous. That's that's that that you know that 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 doesn't make sense. And it, it, you're you're not utilizing that which is at your disposal in in the great lofty world uh, that we that we find ourselves and that we live in. So. This is a message. There's many messages to be taken, but this is one message that we can take with us after learning Parshas Noach, or as we're starting to learn Parshas Noach, to realize that, hey, I'm in a world with other people. Let me utilize that. Let me learn from everybody. And let me uh, not be afraid of assistance. Let me not be afraid of having help and asking for help from other people. People are there to help, and we should be that way to others as well. We might be that help for somebody in need, for whatever it might be, for parnasa, for just emotional well-being, for, you know, what, whatever it is. So may we be zoche. Let's take this message from Noach and make the world a better place. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to another episode of the Torah Sparks podcast. If you enjoy this content, please rate. Please leave a review. It could go a long way. And with that, we'll see you next time.